Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to dive into it and learn more about you, God. We pray that uh, through your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, God, that you would convict our hearts, that you would bring us hope, that you would bring us joy. Um, we ask that everything that is said is for the glory of your name and for the building of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I am very excited to speak on this topic in the Way of Jesus series. The topic I'm speaking on today is worship. Um, and when we were presented as a preaching community with the list of different topics for this series, I, I jumped at the opportunity to speak on worship. Um, the reason why is because worship is something that's just like really, really dear to my heart. Um, most of you know, I grew up in a church. My parents were church leaders, they were pastors. So naturally I grew up you know, involved in serving in many different ways. Um, I was a choir leader, I was a youth president, I was part of the cleaning crew, I helped uh, with counting the money after service, and I mean, most notably, I was a musician. But some of you don't know that I was actually a worship leader for many, many, many years. Um, yeah, your boy can sing. But I only sing for the glory of God and to impress my wife sometimes. Um, so I've always been fascinated with the idea of worship and what it really means. Um, so I spent you know, many years learning, reading up on it, going to seminars, um, but the most I've learned about worship has come directly from Jesus. Right, Jesus talks a lot about worship in the scriptures. There's so many different places he talks about it, so many different facets of it. So you know, when you know, writing this sermon, it was just, at points it was overwhelming because like, there's so much to say. Like, how do I narrow it down? Um, to what I believe is one of the most important things Jesus teaches about worship. And so that was the challenge for me. Um, and so I pray that God would um, allow what he wants you to hear today to come through uh, and that we really walk away with uh, a, a truer understanding of worship is. So that being said, let's dive right into it. Uh, we're gonna actually be in the book of John, chapter four, verses 19 to 24. So I will read that. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So I, I hate jumping into the middle of a, a story uh, with, with no context, right? I, I don't even like skipping the 60 second recaps on Netflix for an episode for a TV show. So we're not going to do that. I'm going to give you guys some context. This is this is the official recap of what's going on. All right. So we're, we're jumping in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman. So if we back up a little bit to the early part of the chapter, Jesus was in Judea and he was preaching. His disciples were baptizing people. And word got out that they were baptizing more people than John the Baptist. So the Pharisees got wind of this. And as always, you know, they were hating. So what Jesus did, decided to do was just leave, right? He, 
who wanted to ignore the haters um, and go back home to Galilee. So to go back home, he went through a town called Samaria. Now, this is and this is something that he did very intentionally. This is also something that's very weird and um, not normal for a Jewish person to do. And that's because if, you, if, if I had a map, I could show you. So this is Galilee. This is Judea. And Samaria is in the middle. Jews avoided Samaria when they were going to Galilee because Samaria, Samaritans or Samaria are essentially people who are half-breeds, right? They're half-Jewish, half-pagans. And Jews hated Samaritans. Like, they absolutely hated them. Um, and for a Jew to go through Samaria, like, that, that's just unheard of, right? They, they did their best to avoid them. There's so much conflict. Um, they, they had so much disagreements about, you know, where the Temple of God should be. Uh, the Samaritans thought it would be in Mount, um, in, in Mount Gerizim, in Samaria, Jews in Jerusalem. So there's a lot of beef between Samaritans and Jews. So Jews would go the long way, right? Have, have you ever avoided someone and, you know, gone out of your way because you just didn't want to deal with them? Um, this is something that admittedly I've done in the past. Like times I'll be on the train and I see someone I know from like maybe junior high school, high school, or maybe I just met you somewhere. And honestly, I don't want to talk to you. Um, I will like go the opposite way. Like I would go as far as way as possible for you. I'll miss a train if I have to, because I just don't want to be with you. Um, I, when I was in college, uh, there was a security guard at the library. I was very cool with everyone on campus. Um, I knew the right people. So I was able to, you know, move pretty freely and, you know, do what I want, honestly. Um, so there was a security guard at the library. I was, I was pretty cool with um, And, you know, every time he saw me, he would like, he would have a conversation with me that sometimes would go on for 30 minutes. And like, for me, it was, it was stressful going to the library because like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run into this guy. And if I run into this guy, even though I tell me I got to go, man, I, I, I'm studying. Like, he's going to have me there for 30 minutes talking about God knows what. So I did everything in the world to avoid him. Like, I learned his schedule. Um, sometimes I would walk in because he'd have to buzz you in or you'd have to swipe in to get it. I'd be on the phone. And I was like, oh, and he was still like trying to stop me and talk to me. I was like, bro, what's wrong with you? So, yeah, I did everything possible to avoid this man because he would just put me out of my way. Thankfully, Jesus is not like that. Jesus is very intentional. And he's like, I I have to meet this woman. So I'm going to go through this town um, so that I can have this conversation with her. So where we are in this conversation, you know, they're talking about a, a bunch of different things. And Jesus just finished confronting this woman about the sin in her life. So it turns out she, she, was, uh, she was married five times and she was currently sleeping with a man who was not her wife. Right? So she was caught in, right in, 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 the, in the act of sin. And Jesus brings that up. And, you know, naturally she deflects. So she, the way she does that is just by bringing up random topics. And the topic that she randomly brings up is, is worship. It's like, all right, we're talking about that, even though I just you know, asked you about the sin in your life. So this is the topic that she randomly brings up. Uh, and that's what we see here in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So if you're ever trying to uh, avoid someone prying into your life about your sin, just deflect the random topics about worship. Um, don't do that. So... <laughs> 
what we see here is as she brings this up, Jesus actually confronts um, this idea of worship that she presents to him. All right. So Samaritans worship the God of Israel, Yahweh, right? The same God, well, not the same, but um, they, that the God that Israel worshiped Yahweh, that we know the God of the Bible, they saw him as the God of their land, right? Again, they're half Jews, half pagan. So essentially they worship God like any local deity. Their idea of worship was wrong. And Jesus, he was confronting that in, in this conversation. They get it wrong, right? And, you know, even Jesus brings up the Jews and, you know, how they worship what they know. But then we see in scripture many times where Jesus actually points out the hypocrisy in the, 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 the leaders of the Jewish people and their worship. So we see that they both get it wrong, right? And I can't think of, I can't help but think of the ways that we actually get it wrong as well um, as a church and as cultures large. So some examples. Um, so in terms of the church, we get it wrong a, a couple of different ways when it comes to the idea of worship. Um, so one, one way, worship is reduced to a time or portion of a service or gathering. It's the time where we sing songs. Like I, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, wow, what an incredible time of worship. Or wow, worship really blessed me, right? What we essentially do is say, right, worship is just singing songs. We do that in church culture um, as well by reducing worship to a musical genre. Like, oh, yeah, that, that's, that's worship music. Or this is a gospel album. One of the ways that, or another one of the ways that, this, that we get it wrong, especially in our culture, is worship teams or worship bands oftentimes become the only way for people to connect with God. And that's not a bad thing. What happens is, People, and this I've done this many times, right? I've been in a service where a song might be sung. It's like, I don't really like that song, so I'm just going to stand here. God, I can't connect with you because the music's bad. Or, you know, I just don't like this team. They're not my sound. Like, I'm just going to, like, disengage. And when they sing the song I actually like, like when What a Beautiful Name comes on, then I'll jump right back in and we'll be good, right? So we we oftentimes will just, like, we, we'll handicap ourselves and we'll be like, hey, I, I can't connect with God because I'm not feeling it right now. It's not doing it for me. Right? So don't get me wrong. Again, musical worship is not a bad thing. All right? It's an expression of worship. Where it gets bad is where we take and we worship the expression of worship and, and miss the worship of God altogether. Right? We worship how we worship and we don't actually even worship God. So that's enough of my rant uh, about how we get it wrong as a church culture. Um, trust me, we do it wrong a, a bunch of other ways. But that's just what comes to mind for me. Culture, right? If you go to someone who's not a Christian or you know, not a religious person, and you ask them, do you worship? They'll probably tell you, no, that, that's for religious people. I'm not, I'm not religious. The truth is, they're actually wrong. Everyone worships. Everyone worships. So a, a good way to think of worship, or essentially the, where the word worship comes from, is from worth-ship, Right? It's giving worth to something. And we're all wired to give worth to something. We're all wired to worship. Our culture worships sex, money, power, pleasure, freedom, comfort, autonomy. We give worth to these ideas or ideals. And as a result, 
We give our time, we give our energy, we give our resources to pursue that. Everyone worships. It's essentially giving value, giving of your time, giving of your energy to pursue something that you want. So, again, we have it wrong a lot of times, this idea of worship. Jesus has it right. We see in verse 23, Jesus says, But the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So true worship starts with the right view of God. This is what it means to worship in truth. If you want to understand who God is or you want to get an accurate picture of who God is, go to the word. Right? It's what he uses to reveal himself. And honestly, I could go on for the next 24 hours talking about who God is, right? God is, as the, the, the scriptures point out, he is the most worthy of all creatures, of all beings. He is worthy beyond anything or anyone we could ever imagine. Um, some of my favorite scriptures that, that point out the worth and truth of who God is. Revelation chapter 4, verses 11. Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. If you've ever, like, taken a hike and, you know, you saw something beautiful in nature, or you're at the beach and you're relaxing, you see beautiful sunset, like, oftentimes you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, this is incredible. Like, you feel like this sense of awe, and you see this beauty. God created that. Like everything in this entire universe, God literally just spoke it and it happened. Like the idea of speaking this incredible universe into life, that, that's fascinating, right? Like if I want an amazing, you know, steak, I can't just say, all right, medium rare steak appear in front of me. I could probably tell that to Steph and like speak that to her. She'll probably slap me. But... The idea of just speaking something to existence, God has done that, and he hasn't. He doesn't break us what? Like, he's incredibly worthy. Another scripture, Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of God, who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God is not only awesome and able to do anything he wants, but he is absolutely inscrutable, which means he's not subject to anyone's opinion or judgment. Whatever he does is right. It's accurate. There's nothing, there's nothing he owes anyone, right? He's, he's that great. He's that amazing, right? This is a true view of who God is. Now, to worship in truth means that we can't just worship our idea of who God is or who we want him to be. We need to worship him as he is. Our view of God needs to be truthful. This is what it means to worship in truth, right? Our view of him needs to line up with who he actually is and not something that we, we just create. We just conjure up because we, we want to essentially feel better or we want to just affirm our lifestyle by creating a God who's okay with whatever we want to do. 
To worship in truth means to worship God as he is. And Jesus has the right view of God, right? In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm the, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right, what Jesus is saying that his view of God is accurate because he is God himself. So to see the Father is to see him. That's what he's, he's equating himself to God. And Jesus is absolutely right. He has the right view of God. He worships him in truth. True worship is the result of the Holy Spirit, right? This is what it means to, to worship in spirit. Because of our sinful nature, we don't naturally lean towards worshiping God, right? We worship creation and not him, the creator, right? We, we value other things more easily than we actually do God. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter one, right? We are spiritually dead. That's what he talks about in Ephesians chapter two, right? We're, we're dead in our trespasses, right? We, we do evil deeds and that's because our spirits are dead. Now, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the beauty and worth of God. And at that point, when we get a view of him, when we are made alive, we can't help but to love and adore him and value him. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter four, verses four. God being rich in mercy because of the great love, which he has loved us, when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Worship is a spiritual thing, and it's, it happens through the work of the Holy Spirit because he awakens us to the beauty of God. He shows us who God is. And when we get a taste of that, like we don't go back, right? The first time I had steak, it was probably well done, right? And I probably had a, like a TGI Fridays or something like that. But when I was dating Steph, um, I, her, her mom worked for the owners of Peter Luger's. I had medium rare steak from Peter Luger. And I can tell you most assuredly that I've never gone back to CGI Fridays to have a steak, right? Because once you taste something that is good and superior and beautiful, you don't go back to that, that, that crap from TGI Fridays. So when we get a taste of who God is, we don't go back because we've tasted and we've seen how good and beautiful he is. That's worship in spirit. So ultimately, true worship results in, when we worship in spirit, worship in truth, it results in us valuing God and the things that he values more than anything else. We become consumed with knowing him, right? We become consumed with loving him. We, we live to serve him and his purposes. And Jesus models this perfectly. Jesus was all about what the father was putting on his heart to do, what the father was speaking, what the father was directing him towards. That's what he did. Philippians chapter two, verses five sums up how Jesus does this perfectly. And honestly is, you know, one of Justin's favorite passages, one of my favorite passages. Um, it, it says this, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Verse 8, right? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. All of Jesus's life was him valuing God and the things that God valued completely. That's, that's all he was about. Right? We talked about how in this series so far, how Jesus spent so much time in prayer. Jesus spent time in solitude to connect with God. Jesus fasted because what he wanted more than what the, the devil offered him, you know, power, kingdom, he wanted the will of God. We talked about how Jesus loved the scriptures and studied the scriptures. His entire life, all the way to the point of suffering the worst experience and treatment and death that anyone has ever suffered, all of that was because he valued God and what God was about, the things that God valued. That, that's essentially worship. Jesus models that for us. Now, G- Jesus wants us to get this right. This is why he confronts the, the, the Samaritan woman. This is why we have this account. He, he wants us to get this idea of worship down because at the end of the day, what Jesus cares about most is our joy and our satisfaction. Jesus was very intentional about meeting this woman. I can go into all of the reasons why it was a bad idea for him optically, but that didn't matter to him. Jesus knew that I have to go through this town. And, and by the way, it's, it's, we're, we're talking about going through mountains, right? This is not like a walk in the park. Like this is a trek. But he knew he had to have this conversation for this woman. Jesus wasn't looking to find her and pretty much shame her and, and cancel her. That's not, that, that wasn't his goal at all. Jesus was seeking her joy and her satisfaction. If you look at the early verses of this chapter, Jesus is talking to this woman about living water, the the living water that he is, and he's essentially offering that to her. And she, I'll read this to you, verses uh, 13 to 15. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the well, which he met this woman at. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw. So what this woman is pointing at, besides the fact that she's thirsty, is that there is a deep longing in her in her life spiritually. She's been with five different husbands. That says a lot about her. She's currently sleeping with someone who's not her her husband. There is a deep longing in this woman. And Jesus knows that. And he cares enough to go out of his way to have this conversation and to offer her true satisfaction, true joy. We are like this woman. We go from idol to idol. We go from sex from pot to power to comfort to control to freedom we go from all these different things to find satisfaction to find joy and we find time after time these things don't satisfy us we're always left longing and that's because Jesus is the only one that can ever satisfy our deepest desires he's the only one that can complete our joy 
these things, they won't satisfy. I, <laughs> um, I, I used to love Jordans growing up, but my parents were like, you're not getting Jordans, you're getting Payless sneakers. Um, so as an adult, there was a period in my life where, you know, I came into some money and I would go crazy. I would buy sneakers like crazy. Right? And then I stopped because I got mad. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. I can't just be buying Jordans. I'm not shading you if you buy Jordans all the time. Um, but I got in this point in my marriage, maybe a couple of years ago, where there's a pair of Jordans that I was like, you know what? I want these sneakers. And I want them. And I, I thought about these sneakers all the time. I got them. I was like, all right. So I, oh, I didn't get them. I saw, I saw it on the website. I was like, all right. They're dropping this day. They look uh, this, they're like, this good. I can wear it with this outfit. Like, I was thinking about these sneakers a lot. I brought it up to Steph. Steph was like, wait, don't don't just buy the sneakers. Like, you know, save it for it. Don't just, like, in, impulsively buy these sneakers, which was very hard for me to hear. Because, like, you don't understand. Like, I got to have these sneakers. So I wait, I wait, I wait. I mean, eventually I bought it earlier than I should have. Um, and that was a different conversation. Um, but I remember the, the anticipation I had when I... So you click the order button to the moment I got those sneakers. Like, that's all I could think about. I was like, yo, I cannot wait to wear these sneakers, bro. Like, they're crazy. They're 11s. Um, and they were emerald green. And I love emerald green. So I was like, man, I can't wait to have these sneakers. I get these sneakers and I'm super hyped. I wear them the first time. Wear them the second time, like a couple of days later. Um, what I found, which was, which is really strange, is like after maybe a week, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done. Today, those sneakers sit in my closet somewhere. I haven't thought about them for months now, right? That longing, that anticipation, that excitement that I thought I was going to get out of those pair of sneakers, it quickly vanished. Quickly. Quick. I don't care about those shoes anymore. That's how it is But a lot of the things that we chase, a lot of things that we value. The... They seem like, oh man, you're gonna fulfill me. You're gonna, do, you're gonna complete my satisfaction. But they don't. And ultimately, all of these different things, whether it be food for you, whether it be sex, whether it be drugs or a good time or a relationship, they ultimately have their end. They're only able to satisfy you so much, right? You can only eat so much food before you feel full and disgusted. You can only drink so much before you black out and you wake up with a terrible hangover. You can only have so much sex until you climax. You can only have such a deep relationship before, before it breaks down or the person passes away. There's only so much that we're going to be able to get out of a lot of things that we value. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus wants to offer us something deeper. Himself. He wants to offer us life with him, which has no limit, that will continue to fulfill us, continue to satisfy us. This, this is the water he's talking about with this woman. This is why Jesus makes the point to show us, to teach us, we need to worship God, truly. We need to worship him in spirit. We need to worship him in truth. We need to value him more than anything else in this world. We need to value the things that he values more than anything else in this world because if, when we do, we will be satisfied. We will be satisfied forever. Our longings will be complete. We get to taste that here in this life, and it's a taste, but there's a promise, and this is a promise he makes her, that one day we'll have eternal life with him. And for those of you who wonder what that looks like, think about 
think about something like or a meal that you love so much, being able to enjoy that forever, right? Like eating something, like for me, it's a bacon cheeseburger. I imagine if I could eat bacon cheeseburgers all day, forever, and it never gets tired, it never gets old, it just gets better and tastes better after, after every time I eat it. Being with God in eternity is going to be unlike anything you've ever imagined. It's going to be wild because we're going to be able to experience him and the joy that he brings and the life that he gives forever. And we'll never, ever, ever get tired of it. We'll always want more and there will always be more. When we think of it that way, like it doesn't make sense to worship stupid things like money or power or success or relationship or the job or food. Like there's so much more that God has to offer us. And that's what we need to value and cling to. So how should we respond? Some of us, we need to repent of an idea of God that we've just made up or just an idea of God that is just completely not true. Some of us need to repent of valuing and worshiping a relationship, a job, a good time money, sometimes family. We need to repent of these things and redirect our worship towards God. Some of us are like, I don't get it. Like, God, what's the point? I don't, I don't, I don't see the value. I don't see why I should give my life to that. When we need to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to actually see how worthy, how beautiful God is. And when we do that, he, he honors that prayer. And he, he brings us himself and he gives himself and, and we're satisfied. Jesus is the most qualified person to speak on worship. And that's because his entire life was worship. His entire life, he valued God and he valued the things that God valued. So when we try to understand what worship is, we need to look at Jesus. And as we learn to value God and the things that he values, He's glorified because he, he deserves that. And ultimately, we're filled. We're satisfied. And that other people will reap the benefit of. So here's some practical ways that we can practice worship this week. Just a couple ideas, nothing too crazy. One, we can spend time in God's word, in God's prayer. And in, sorry, in God's prayer. We can spend time in God's word and in prayer. Getting to know God is the first step of, of, of seeing who he is in truth. And as we see him in truth, honestly, we, we grow to love him. So spending time with him is, is a very practical way we can worship him. We can serve others. Right, God, this is Jesus, part of Jesus' life. We're serving others, healing people, feeding people. We can serve others. Right, because this is what God values. And as we serve others, and it could be, you don't have to go out in the street and feed homeless people. If you want to do that, it's good. But you can serve the people in your home, serve your children, serve your wife, serve your friend, your neighbor. There are people that, that, that need help, that need serving too. And we can show that we value God by serving others. We can share the good news with others. Like that's one of the things Jesus was very big on, preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom. We can share the good news of, of Christ and his salvation with others because, you know, there, there are many more women at the well, Samaritan women in our lives, 
people who are going from this thing to that thing to that thing to be satisfied, where we have the truth, we have the gospel, we have the good news of Christ, we have the thing that they're looking for. So we, we should be encouraged and ready to share that with them so that they might be satisfied. And then just a, 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 just a very good way to think about it, again, we can talk about worship forever and how we can express worship to God. But by doing everything we do, Paul says this in Colossians, do everything that you do as if you're doing it for Jesus. Whether it's working at your job, you know, being on time, paying attention in meetings, being an excellent employee, not stealing from your company, being present at your home, serving your family, managing your resources, dealing with other people, everything that you do, imagine as if you're doing it for God. I get convicted about that all the time. Sometimes when my wife asks me to do things, I'm like, oh man, I don't want to do this, man. Like, tell. And I think about one, how Jesus has served me in that, in this moment, like, how would you serve Jesus? Would, would I go to Jesus like that? Would I approach Jesus that way? The same way I, I'm approaching my wife in this moment? And no, I feel convicted about that. I was like, you know what? Let me do it as if I'm doing it for Jesus. So if you can imagine your entire life from that lens, then you will practice worship. God, thank you that you want us to get an accurate picture of what worship is. And it's, you're not doing it in a way where you shame us and you condemn us. Your motive is ultimately our joy and our satisfaction. God, thank you that you go out of your way, that you've interrupted our day today so that we might be presented with the option and the opportunity to experience your life fully. God, help us through your Holy Spirit to see how worthy you are of our time, of our energy, of our resources, of our entire lives. God, you are worthy of everything we have. And we'll never be able to thank you for what you've done, God. But we are grateful for your truth. We are grateful for your example. We are, we are grateful for your spirit helping us and leading us. Teach us, God, every single day what it means to truly value you above everything else. For the glory of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.